Wonderful day today in which we baptized uh, eight, and I love that, and the fact that we had sisters and then brothers and sisters and dad being baptized, and uh, Daddy John asked me, he said, uh, are you going to be able to get me up? I said, I've never lost anybody yet. Uh, and today was a first close call. We'll remember that one, what we've done. At the mat that was supposed to keep him from sliding slid right out from under him, you know, so kind of hard to get him up, but uh, we got him, and it, it, was, it was a good day, baptizing eight. That's great. Well, um, today we're going to talk about Jesus, our Redeemer, and uh, talking about redemption. Uh, whenever I talk, think about redemption, I think about a story I heard a long, long time ago, probably a nine, ten-year-old boy uh, that, that one of my pastors told, and uh, you might have heard it with various uh, renditions of it, but I like it in its simplest form. It's the story of a little boy who built a boat, built a little toy sailboat. He did all the painstaking work to carve it and then make the, the sails for it and took it down to the lake to try it to see if it would sail. And uh, much to his amazement, when the wind, little gusts of wind came along and caught the, the sails, that it sailed better than he ever thought it would. And soon he was not able to get a hold of it and, and it disappeared out of sight. It went on down uh, on the other side of the lake. A couple of days later, a little boy was... Uh, walking downtown, and he happened to pass by a, a second-hand store, and he saw his little boat sitting in the window. And he went inside, and he said to the store owner, he said, that's my boat out there in the window. And the owner said, no, it's mine. I bought it from somebody. And the little boy said, that's my boat, and I want it back. And the owner said, well, if you want it back, you'd have to buy it, because I had to buy it, and it's mine. So the little boy went about for a week doing every job he could imagine he could do and saving his nickels and dimes and pennies and everything he could till finally he went back to the store and he was able to buy his boat back. And as he walked out of the store holding that boat in his hand, uh, the store owner heard the little boy say, you're my boat. I made you and I bought you back. Now you're twice mine. That's the story of Redemption. That's what redemption is all about. I noticed that uh, as I came over this way a while ago, one of our children's classrooms, um, they must have made boats this morning, didn't you? Yeah, and uh, they were out in the, in the hallway, and I happened to think, well, that's a pretty good likeness of the little boat that the little boy made. I think whenever we think about redemption, you've got to think about buying back, and that God made us, and then he bought us back. That's the story of redemption, isn't it? Uh, redemption is uh, one of those words that we find sometimes maybe a little troubling and think it's a little little tough theologically get our hands around like reconciliation or justification or propitiation. But if you think about the word redeem, we use it a lot even in our everyday life. Uh, one of the political writers, Maureen Dow, talked about one of the politicians and said this, he came as a redeemer, but he didn't redeem. Uh, America, uh, the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game was this week. They took the All-Star break. I think they started back with their games um, Friday. And uh, oftentimes, one of the fielders out there when the female's in the field will make him make an error. He either lets the ball go through his legs, he misses a, a fly ball, or he makes a bad throw. And it seems like it almost always happens that an inning, the next inning or the inning later when he comes up to bat, there are runners on base and he has an opportunity to do something. And the announcers will usually say, well, he's at the plate now with the opportunity to redeem himself. And then some of you might be, some of you uh, tech gurus might be familiar with this, but I finally found out about this this week, just, you know, Googling for this thing about redeem, that there is actually a feature in Microsoft Outlook that is called Outlook Redemption. Any of you aware of that? 
Anybody else get that deep into it? Well, if you think you can't, if redemption in the theological sense is difficult to understand, you ought to go Google that and print that out. I mean, it's about six pages of stuff I've never heard of, and I couldn't understand it. Outlook redemption. Outlook redemption. Well, so when we use that word redemption, what do we mean? Especially when we uh, talk about the fact that God redeems us. What does that mean? How do we understand it? And, and what does God want us to experience? What does God want us to know uh, when we think about redemption? One of the most difficult challenges I had this week was what passage of Scripture to use, because there's about 150 uh, that talk about God and redeeming us uh, through Christ uh, particularly. But I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Uh, brief passage of Scripture, but I think it gives to us uh, a, a great introduction to this concept of redemption. Peter writes and says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Well, that passage speaks very clearly about the fact that God in Jesus Christ redeemed us. So what does redemption mean? Here's a a biblical dictionary definition. Redemption is the deliverance of people from the bondage of sin by the perfect substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ and their consequent restoration to God and His heavenly kingdom. Now, if anybody asks you today to define redemption, you got it, right? You can give that back word for word, verbatim, you got it. That's a little bit long, isn't it? Well, let's look at three things that redemption always has that I think will help us understand redemption. First of all, redemption always involves rescue. See, redemption always involves something of value that has been lost or ruined or taken by capture. And redemption is about rescuing that valuable item. Listen to what God says to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43. God says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. And just like that little boy in that story made that boat, God made us. And then something happened. We went our own way, and we got lost in sin. And that separated us from God, and it was our own fault. We're sinners by nature and by choice, and so we chose to fall into sin, and we were separated from God. But God loves us so much. That he chose to rescue us. And he came to us to rescue us out of our spiritual enslavement. Now I want to mention four areas in which we need to be rescued. And perhaps maybe this might strike you today. uh, Where you might be spiritually. First of all is spiritual darkness. Anybody in here afraid of the dark? You might be like a little boy who was asked that. Are you afraid of what's in the dark? And he said no I'm afraid of what might be in the dark. I think that's the way it is with most of us. You get caught in the darkness, what happens? You kind of get lost. You get a little bit antsy. 
Uh, Rick might have told you some of the things that happened around here Tuesday when we got hit by lightning. The lights board here got burned up. Computers were down. Phone system was out for most of the week. All that kind of stuff. But uh, Allison was having a kids day on that Tuesday. And when the lights went out, I heard all kind of sounds coming, coming through the building. Well, some of us are in spiritual darkness. Now, does your eyes have been blinded to the truth of Christ and you're still lost in your sin? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. See, there's that rescue concept. And from the dominion of darkness. So to be in the dark means that you're lost, you're confused, you're, you're forgotten, you're left out. You don't know how to find your way. Maybe that's where you are today. You're in spiritual darkness and God is ready to redeem you and to rescue you from that. Then there's another term, and that's wickedness. Now, you might sit there and think, well, I might be a sinner, but I'm not wicked. You know, we think probably about wickedness is probably about describing axe murderers or child molesters, right? But you know what? I got to think about this. God is so holy and so righteous that any sin that we commit is going to be wicked compared to his holiness and righteousness. Don't you think? Every sin there is going to be evil. Titus says in Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. From all wickedness. Then there's guilt. Some of you in here today might be, might be living with the guilt and shame of some past sin or failure. Now, now to be true, sometimes there, there are consequences to our sin that we have to deal with for a long time. But also at the same time, though, you don't have to drag around guilt like a ball and chain. Some people just live with that guilt from something they've done from the past, and it's difficult for them to accept God's forgiveness. And and so then we have guilt that just binds us and drags us down and and just, you know, it's just like it just follows our trail with every step. We can't get away from it. There's that guilt. God's come to redeem you from that guilt. And then there's emptiness. If those other things don't hit you, emptiness might hit you. See, when I look at this culture around us today, and it's got to be called at least postmodern, if not post-Christian, when there are no moral absolutes, when there are all kinds of ways you can get to heaven, you know, no wonder that there's so many people out there who are spiritually empty. Their life is empty. They have no purpose. They have no meaning in life. They haven't found what it means to be a follower of Christ. They don't have any sense of direction in their life. Emptiness. And and Peter addressed that in verse 18 of our text that we've already read. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. So if you haven't found a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have purpose and meaning and, and, and direction for your life. You might have a job, you might have a family, you might have some social standing, but you're without a purpose and meaning and something to drive you in life, to know what your ultimate goal is in life. And God has come to redeem us from that through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he was willing to pay the ultimate price to rescue us. We've got a short video clip. Watch this. We can't lower the lights because of the light board, but uh, hopefully you can see enough to see the video. Before you and will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I am close to the brokenhearted, and I save those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep my love is for you. For 
I loved you so much that I gave my one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that I raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want you to understand that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love I have for you that is found in my son. So there's a quick reminder of God's promise to redeem us and the price that he's willing to pay. Price that he's willing to pay to rescue us. And that leads us simply to say a second thing then about redemption. And that is redemption always involves a ransom. When you think about paying a ransom, what do you think about? What's happened to somebody? They've been kidnapped and somebody's demanding a ransom. I just got thinking about that and I said, I wonder what's the highest amount of ransom ever paid to, to rescue or redeem somebody. So I just put that on my search engine and came up with, um, here's the top 18 uh, of ransom amounts. Um, this one happened in Kansas City. Six-year-old son of one of the richest men there uh, by the name of Bobby Greenleaf. And uh, his ransom was $600,000. Unfortunately, the kidnappers killed the little boy after they got the ransom. Then I want you to notice a pattern about one particular country. Um, Ronald Grove in 1972 uh, was kidnapped by Argentina guerrillas and they demanded $1 million in ransom for his life. Uh, Vincenzo Russo, uh, also in Argentina, was an ITT exec and he was captured by some Argentina uh, guerrillas and they demanded $1 million in 1972. Virginia Piper uh, was the wife of, uh, of um, Harry Piper, who was a, a well-known uh, investment banker, and they demanded $1 million in 1972. Uh, here we go back again. And um, in Buenos Aires, which is in Argentina, Anthony de Cruz, who was a Kodak executive, was kidnapped, and they demanded $1.5 million. Inflation must have been hitting Argentina about that time. So they demanded $1.5 million. Then another one in, uh, in Argentina was of a British American tobacco company uh, executive, and they demanded $1.7 million for him. Uh, then we go to the United States, and the uh, heir apparent to the Seagram Distillery Company, Samuel Bronman II, was kidnapped. They demanded $2.3 million for his release. Uh, then in 1974, John R. Thompson, back again in Argentina, who was with Firestone, was kidnapped, and they demanded $3 million. Inflation really hit. Some of you might remember this one. It's got a little gruesome part to it. John Paul Getty III in 1973, the grandson of uh, John Paul Getty, really one of the richest men ever, was uh, kidnapped, and the, the, the demand uh, was $17 million to begin with. And the family said they weren't going to meet that, especially granddaddy who founded the company. Now think about this. Here's what happened. They cut off the grandson's ear. He was 16 years old and mailed it to the family. And that's when the family decided they would pay, but they negotiated, got it down to $3 million. But the grandfather, John Paul Getty, said he wouldn't pay but $2.2 million because that was the most he could take off his income taxes. I didn't know that that was deductible. I didn't know that the kidnap ransom was deductible. Then here we go back to Argentina again. This time a Mercedes-Benz exec 
kidnapped for $5 million ransom. Now, 1974, one of the most famous in the United States was that of Patty Hearst. And what group claimed credit for abducting her? SLA, Seminese, Seminese Liberation Army. Once they paid the ransom, she decided to join with them, and there she was. Um, then we go to uh, Argentina once again, Charles Lockwood, um, another executive. First of all, he was, he was ransomed, he, he was kidnapped twice. Tough luck on this guy, wasn't it? Two million the first time, ten million the second time. He must have been very cooperative. And then back in Argentina again in 1974, Victor Samuelson, um, who was also the refinery manager, was kidnapped. They demanded 14.2 million. Now we're getting on up here. Walter Kwok, who was the son of one of China's richest businessmen, was uh, kidnapped in 1997 for $77 million ransom. Then we're jumping on up in 1996, $134 million ransom for Victor Lee, who was the son of Hong Kong's richest uh, financier. And then we go back, interestingly, to the country of Argentina, where two brothers were, were abducted, and their ransom was $60 million. You notice something about that? Inflation hits and every year it goes up. The other thing is, out of 18 of these top uh, ransoms paid for somebody kidnapped, nine of them took place in where? Argentina. And the lesson of that is, don't live in Argentina. There's a bad place to live. Now, think about that concept. Redemption always involves ransom. When we think about that word redemption, there are two words used in the Bible. One is simply mean you go to a store, you see an item on the shelf that you want or hanging on a rack or whatever. You see the price on it. It's not on sale. You've got to pay that price. And so you pay it and it's yours. You walk out with it and it's yours. Then there's another form of ransom and that of redemption and the term for that. And that is that it's used to release something that's held captive like a slave or a prisoner of war or a piece of property that's been mortgaged. When you go back and think about the story of the boy and, and his boat, you know, that belonged to him. And it had been taken from him and held captive, and he had to pay the ransom for it. And the same thing happened with us when we were lost in our sin. We couldn't pay it. We had a debt against God. We couldn't pay it. But God paid that through Jesus Christ. And Peter again points that out. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You see, that is the most expensive ransom ever paid. God paid it with his son's life so that you could be ransomed from sin. That's the greatest price ever paid. Jesus knew that's why he came. In Mark 10, he says, that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, redemption always involves ransom. When somebody is held as a slave for sin, there is a price that has to be paid. And God paid that price for you and for me. He sent Jesus Christ to die upon the cross. That's the ransom, greatest price ever paid. Now, here's the third thing about redemption. Redemption always involves restoration. 
I'm reading an interesting book by Mike Glenn, who's the pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church in Tennessee, Brentwood, Tennessee. And, and his book is entitled The Gospel of Yes. Interesting book. But he, just the other night I read that he, he gave this illustration. He talked about the fact that uh, a few years ago a man somehow slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer. And he found Michelangelo's beautiful statue of the Pieta and he began to hit it with the hammer. And of course some pieces were broken off. And they finally were able to, uh, to uh, uh, capture the man and lead him away. Now what did they do with that prized piece of sculpture? It had been damaged. But they were able to ransom it. What did they do with it? They throw it out? No. They put it in the hands of the best art restoration people they could find, and it's still there. Well, God does the same thing with us. You see, the goal of redemption is always to recover what has been lost, to restore what has been ruined, and to return what has been taken captive. That's what the little boy did with his boat. That's what God does with us as well. See, God hasn't rescued us so we can continue to go on in sin. But God has called us to live in the light of the kingdom of his son. Colossians tells us he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Titus says, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And what all does that mean for us? It simply means this. Once we've been redeemed, once we've been ransomed, once the price has been paid for us through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we don't go back to that former way of life. We're no longer in spiritual blindness. We're no longer in spiritual slavery. We're no longer uh, in the dark. We're no longer without meaning and purpose in our life. But we're part of the kingdom of God. We're in relationship with God. We're heirs to the kingdom of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So here's the challenge for us today. If you haven't yet come to know Christ as Savior and accepted the price he paid for you on the cross, which is the ultimate display uh, of, the, of the love of God is that image of Jesus Christ on the cross, then you need to come today. You need to come and accept that love that he has for you. 1989, went to, uh, to Rio on a mission trip, and uh, it was that statue of Christ the Redeemer on top of a mountain. If you watch the soccer World Cup stuff uh, for however long it was on TV, it seemed like about a month, you notice that they shot this a lot. They showed this a lot. I think when Germany won, they put the lights of the German nation on it, you know. Uh, But every time I would see that statue, and I've got a wooden one in my office I brought back from Rio. And I see those arms outstretched. It reminds me that there's another R word in this whole redemption uh, business. And that's the word receive. It's like Jesus is standing there saying here, I paid the price for your ransom to set you free. All you've got to do is accept the conditions. And that is to believe in me and accept my sacrifice. And just as he stands there on top of that mountain in Rio, he stands right before you every day and he's got his arms outstretched and he says, this is your invitation. This is your invitation to come and to receive the gift that I've given to you. So if you've never accepted that gift, if you've never allowed God to open your eyes to to the spiritual light and remove you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if you've never found peace and purpose and meaning in your life, if you've never gotten rid of all the guilt in your life and the shame of that, then you could come today and accept that in Christ. 
Now, if you are a believer in Christ and have accepted that invitation, you've got to remember that you are a child of the kingdom of God. And you're a child of God and you're supposed to live like that. The point is to be restored. You're not supposed to go back to your sinful, wicked ways. You're supposed to live for the glory of God. Christ is our Redeemer. If you're in need of being redeemed today, then I just simply say to accept Him. Embrace Him. Accept what He did for you on the cross. If you are a believer, then follow Him. Live for Him. Live for the gospel. Proclaim the gospel in both words and action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your love for us, that you did not choose to destroy us, but that you sent your son Jesus Christ to be our redeemer. And that you paid the greatest ransom price ever in the blood sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ, that we could come into a relationship with you and know that you are God and our Father, and we can be free from all of our sin, and we can be set free to be a part of the kingdom of God, and we can be a child of yours, and we can be a a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that, Father, and I pray that that message of of Christ as Redeemer will, will speak to our hearts today, and that any decision that needs to be made will be made during this time, and we'll give you the praise and glory for it, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.